because it, you know, it, to me, it wasn't just about the marathon. It was also about myself continuing to challenge myself and continuing to think about, you know, what I may have previously thought was impossible. And I, now I realize that there's, there's no such thing as impossible. It just may take a little bit longer time. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar Power, the company I use to go solar on my house. When you go solar this July, you can qualify for no loan payments until next year. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. Going solar isn't as hard as you think it is, and Freedom Solar Power is a turnkey solution focused on educating the consumer and making sure they have all the information they need to make sure going solar is right for them, both financially and as a way to help the planet. Go solar this year and you won't make any payments until 2023. Get 60 days of deferred payments and Freedom Solar will pay three months of your loan. It's time to break free from rising electricity costs. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, but there are plenty of other great options nationwide. Thank you to Hydro for sponsoring this episode. Hydro is an immersive workout experience designed to bring the physical, mental, and emotional experience of on-water rowing straight to your home. Hydro workouts are quick, efficient, and low impact. Rowing for just 20 minutes a day provides you with a full body workout, which engages 86% of your major muscle groups. For context, cycling engages 44%. Head to hydro.com to check them out. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com to learn more. Be sure to use the code FTLR100 to save $100 on your order. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. From their versatile session tops cut from a soft stretch knit to lane five and Reggie short tights perfect for racing a marathon, these pieces are built to work as hard as you do. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will receive free shipping and 5% of the purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. Welcome back. I have Charles Moore joining me today from New York. Uh, Charles, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. So the first question on this podcast has become a challenging one. Uh, and the question is, who, who is Charles? Uh, Charles is 5'10". He's from Michigan. No. <laughs> um, I think I'm a very analytical and hardworking and what I've recently discovered, a creative person. Um, I'm an African-American male from Detroit, Michigan, born and raised. 
um, I've moved around a little bit. And so I, I feel like I'm sort of a, a renaissance slash worldly man. Um, I've lived in East Lansing, Michigan, New York City, Rome, and Cambridge, Rome, Italy. I, I would also say that I'm, a, I'm in constant search of challenges and I'm a competitive person, whether it's learning to speak a new language fluently, in my case, Italian, or, or reading about a New York Times music critic, seeing the opera Norma nine times and deciding I was going to outdo him by seeing 14 La Boheme's. Or the reason we're here right now is decided you know, I'm going to be a marathon runner at the age of 40. That is quite quite an intro there. Um, you've done, it sounds like you've, <laughs> you've done a lot of cool things. Um, so you mentioned Cambridge. Was that Cambridge Mass or Cambridge, England as well? Uh, Cambridge, Cambridge Mass. Cool. Um, I like the bit about constant search of challenges and how you got into running as well. It sounds like. There are a number of different ways we can go here, but given it's a running podcast, maybe let's uh, let's start there. How how did you get into running and and why? So first off, I, I was never a runner, and I had never uh, any intentions of running a marathon. It was never a bucket list item for me. Um, I, I think the first marathon runner I ever knew was my uncle, who ran the New York City Marathon in twenty twenty. Um, but I, I never even inquired with him about his experience running a marathon because I wasn't interested in running one myself. Um, but I started to discover that I had friends around me at the time. A girl I was dating, Andrea, had ran some shorter races, 5Ks and 10Ks, and she didn't complete her first try at a marathon. And that sort of drew me in to learning more about running and, and marathoning. But even at that point, I, I wasn't intending on running a marathon. And in 2015, I caught a slight cold. And, and I'm one of those people who, if I get sick, I just rest. And I rest until I get better. And in this case, it was November 2015. And I was restless after laying in bed for three days and I decided I was going to get out of bed on Sunday afternoon and go for a walk. And at the time, I lived on 35th and 5th Avenue in New York City. And for some reason, I would have no clue why, but I think I do have a clue why, because I was meant to go on this journey. I walked up to Columbus Circle, and it happened to be where the New York City Marathoners are finishing. And when I started to approach the, the sea of people who had completed the marathon and they were walking with, with their medals around their neck, I, I saw something in their eyes that I had never seen in my life, in real life. And I knew that I had never experienced it. And I'd like to describe it as they just got the shit kicked out of them, but they also won. and i said wow that i've never fought that battle i've never fought a battle like that and i want that feeling and so i went home that day and i said i was going to run the new york city marathon and everyone i told that story just laughed just like you did but they laughed because they knew me as a person and they knew that i had never 
you know, I never inquired about running and I never intended on running. I never wanted to run. Just the year previous, I didn't run um, the 5K Turkey Trot because I didn't want to run a 5K. And then now, just a year later, I decided I was going to run a marathon. And, and that's how I started running. So you see in the eyes, you see people who just got the shit kicked out of them, but they also won. What, is, what did they win? What did that feel like for you? Well, at the time, I didn't, know, I didn't have a clue what they won. I knew they won, though. Because to, the, to me, there was tangible proof, the metal around their neck. So I, I started to do some homework to sort of understand the marathon more. Um, obviously, you can't just get out of bed and run a marathon. Uh, so you do have to train and you do have to understand nutrition and, and your, your own body, I think. But so I decided that I was going to chase what, whatever feeling that they had. I wanted to experience it. And at the time, I didn't know exactly what that feeling was. When was the first time you experienced that feeling? I think, so my first race was the New York City Half Marathon, which was the, the next March. And from there, I started to run, all, you know, some shorter races, some 5Ks and 10Ks. And I felt like those races, they, I knew they weren't going to give me the same feeling as running a marathon. But what, what I like to describe it as, it's like the courses that you take that lead to a university degree. And so to me, the, the 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons were like, you know, it was like my freshman year. And then my, my sophomore and junior and senior year was the, like the, you know, leading up to the marathon. And, and then the marathon is graduation. I love how you phrase that because the marathon was not like the semester's test. You just said the marathon was graduation or, or celebration. Right. There's no test at graduation. Right. There's celebration at graduation. Right. Was that intentional the way you phrased it that way? Yeah, because the first time I ran the New York City Marathon, it was, I, I knew I was going to finish it. You know, I didn't know what the time was going to be, but I knew I was going to finish it because I did the work leading up to the race. What I, what I didn't know from lack of experience is that, you know, anything can happen on race day and you could not finish it even if you, you did, you know, properly prepare. Um, and so it's, I, I think it was one of those things you don't know what you don't know. And, and that was great because I ran the race just knowing I was going to finish it. Did you get the shit kicked out of you? I did. <laughs> let's talk, let's hear about that. <laughs> Um, you know, and so the first time I ran a New York City Marathon, I was I was excited. Um, I was prepared, but I was also a little bit arrogant, I think. And so I, I saw the first time I saw my family was on mile eight. And I have this video, this short, like 15 second video, because as they as they saw me running up to them, they whipped out their camera phone and started recording me. And I dropped down and did 10 pushups. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I hugged and kissed my family and said hi and was excited. And I, I got to around mile 10 and I said to myself, wow, that was stupid. <laughs> like you could have hurt yourself. <laughs> and then the race is over, <laughs> you know? So I, you know, I, I think that at that point I started to take the race more serious. 
And, and I realized that I was, you know, it, it was a marathon. And, and I think by the time I got to around mile 20, I think that's when it really kicked in that this was a marathon and it, there is no guarantee that you're going to finish this. And so since then, you've run more than a dozen races, uh, more than a dozen marathons. Right. You ran 18 in the three years after your first. Is that correct? Right. How come? So, you know, I had only intended on running the one and I, I had registered for Philadelphia uh, knowing that it was the two weeks after New York City. And I did that because everyone who I knew that ran New York City Marathon recommended that I register for Philly. And the, the reason they said that is that if so, it, it so happens that you don't complete the New York City Marathon for whatever reason, barring some, you know, catastrophe and, and some, some major injury, um, you can always run Philly, which is two weeks later because you're already trained for the marathon. And so when I finished the New York city marathon, I decided to just go ahead and run Philly, um, because I'd already registered for it. And so at that point, I think it was during the Philly marathon that I realized that there was, um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion element to endurance sports. And I noticed that there were, and I, and, I, and I don't know why I didn't notice it in New York City, but I think the reason why I probably didn't notice it in New York City, because I wasn't looking for it. I was just running the race. But what I noticed in Philly is that when Black runners ran by me, they would always give me the, the nod. And in the black community, that is, is sort of an affirmation and acknowledgement of your presence. And typically in spaces that you might not see a lot of other African-American or black people. Um, so I noticed that I was getting the nod in Philly pretty frequently whenever I crossed the paths of other black runners. And it sparked me to research whether there was a diversity, equity, or inclusion issue in endurance sports, and there, and there it clearly was. And so I decided at that point that I wanted to do something to inspire other people in my particular community, and not necessarily the entire community, but like just my community, just my friends, my family, um, people I grew up with, people I worked with and went to school with. And so I thought the only way to do that is to do something that would be extraordinary. And in my case, in my viewpoint, running one marathon probably wouldn't be enough to inspire um, people in my community. I think maybe talking about it more would. But I thought, you know, seeing me run a whole lot of marathons would inspire other people. And it did. And so that's why I decided to run all those marathons. But that, I think when I started to learn more about marathons, the goal of running the six world majors became part of my, my process. And, and one of the goals I said as well. And so this, this hadn't crossed your mind in the first, uh, in the first marathon you ran, cause you were, you were just looking to, to complete it, right? It was right. Single track. Right. right. Where do you think it would have gone if, if you had finished that marathon and, that was it. And you, and you hadn't signed up for Philly. Have you, have you reflected on how different things would have been? You know, I, no, I haven't reflected on that. But now that you pose that question, um, 
I think things would have been a lot different. I, I don't think we would be here right now. I don't think I would have registered and attempted to run 17 more marathons, but, you know, 18 if you count Tokyo, in which I did not run because of the pandemic. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think that, that would have been a goal that I would have set for myself. So fortunately you did. And yep. you finished that marathon, you had another one, and then quite a few more. And when when did it start having the momentum that you were intending it to have? Was it after the third? Was it after the fifth? I'm curious about like when when did your friends catch on as to what you were doing? And when did it become that incredible feat that, that you just mentioned? Well, I think it started when I ran Rome, Italy, because I think it, it really set, set the tone that not only I was running these marathons domestically, but I was going abroad. And it, it really, you know, like some of my friends said to me, wow, you look at you going to Rome, Italy to run a marathon. And it just makes me think that there's really nothing you can't accomplish. Seeing the person that you grew up with do that. And, you know, uh, uh, all my friends and, and my family know that I lived in, in Rome, but it, it's, a, it's a different feeling to go back to Rome just to run a marathon and then come back home. So you're lining up for that, for that marathon. What's going through your head? You're probably a little jet lagged and uh, it might be really early or I guess it would be feel like the afternoon. What, right. what, are, you, what are you thinking about? Well, I, you know, I understanding jet lag and not knowing how I would feel with, with jet lag and trying to run a marathon. I, 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 what I call front loaded the trip. So I was acclimated to the environment and the community and the time change. Um, and so, you know, that really didn't affect me uh, at all because I, I arrived about a week before the marathon. So you've you've conquered the the I guess the easiest hurdle in that process. You <laughs> right. still got you've still got the marathon, and you've still got your friends and family thinking that hey, if he does this, he's onto something here, and and nothing's going to stop him. So what what were you thinking about? Um, I, you know, I was thinking about well, first I was just thinking about completing the marathon. Uh, it, it poured that day. If you've been to Rome, you know that. There's no such thing as like um, flat terrain. Um, everything is, there's lots of hills. There's, there's cobblestone and, you know, wet cobblestone is very slippery. And so you're, you're constantly on lookout for, you know, um, stones in which would, would create chaos and maybe you'd slip and fall. And so you're really being cautious on, on while running. And so, um, I, I was really just focused on completing the race because, you know, I was, I was nervous because it felt like, because I'd lived in Rome for so long and I had friends there who were watching me and I was staying with a friend who, you know, graciously allowed me to stay in her home for a week. And so, you know, you, when you have all those eyes and ears, you know, listening and waiting, it puts more pressure on you. Um, I think, you know, when, when, when people are expecting you to succeed and they know you're competing, you know, so that I think there's just a little bit of added pressure to uh, succeed. And how did you adapt and, and 
thrive under that pressure or did you adapt and thrive under that pressure? Yeah, I think I did. I, you know, I completed the race and, and I, I, you know, I was, everything was in one place when I completed the race. I, I had no slip and falls. Um, I think, you know, and, and that's the part about marathon running that I was unaware of when I first ran my first race is the mental challenge that one would face when running a marathon. Um, and I don't think there was a marathon that I ran after Philly that I did not say to myself, why are you doing this again? Why don't you just stop? <laughs> this is, this is definitely the last one, you know, and, and like every single race, this was definitely the last one. I was not running another race. And, and to tell myself that so many times, um, you know, really put an extra hurdle for, for me to, uh, to overcome, you know, mentally to be able to like complete the race and then, and then go out and do it again. So I think it's, it's pretty easy to go out for a run and do a couple of miles with some consistency, you know, three to five miles and string together a few days like that. But to toe the line of a marathon, there, like, there has to be a reason why you're doing it. And then to toe the line of 17 more marathons, like you got to have a good reason. So right. this whole podcast is the exploration of like what goes on between the ears in that situation. Um, so I'm curious, how did your why evolve from New York to Philly to Rome and beyond or, or did it? And, and if so, how, how did it? Well, you know, again, I think I was I was running for the the culture and my culture and the the you know not just my culture but the running culture and being present in the room on the race course in this case. Um, I think you know for me it was like really important for for me to be present and me to be be present on every possible stage and 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 that's why I wanted to run you know, the six world majors, for example. And, you know, so for me, it was like, now I'm uh, having the opportunity to be present on an international stage. And, you know, I, th I thought that was very important for like my, my, my family and friends to see that I ran Berlin, you know, and I up and, you know, got on a plane and went to London and ran the London marathon and I thought that that was really a, a, a great symbol for them to sort of have and draw from the in inspiration and the excitement that they saw me having while running these marathons and completing them and, and celebrating and, and them joining me in celebration. Um, I thought that that was really why I, I continued to run all these marathons. Was there an aspect of gratitude in there? Like... I get to be here, I get to be representing and I get to inspire my family and my friends. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, you know, I think, you know, I, I used to, I, I called my mother after every single marathon and that was the first call I made. And, and I always said, thank you because, you know, my mother, my mother really was important early on in my life and later, but, you know, I think, Early on, I was always a very curious kid that wanted to try new things. And, you know, my mother was on board for all of it. 
and and so you know when I and when I was nine, I started to play the piano, and ten, I I I wanted to play hockey, and you know instead of you know discussing the the cost of equipment and whether I was serious about playing hockey, she just went out and bought the equipment, and I tried it and I didn't like it, and so I was stuck with this hockey equipment. But you know, but but at no point did you know my mother ever say to me. If you're not going to be serious about whatever you're trying to do, then I'm not going to support it. Like, so she always supported all these crazy ideas that I had as a kid. And I just carried on, you know, that curiosity carried on into my adult life. And, and, and I'm always grateful when I think about that. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast and our environment by providing an easy green energy source. The buying process was fascinating and eye-opening, and I'm excited to pay my learnings forward. If you're curious about going solar in your home, message me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'd be happy to help your journey by providing some great resources. Freedom Solar is a full-service solar company that's been installing solar panels and backup power systems since 2007. They operate in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. Not in any of those states? Don't fret, my parents have the same panels from SunPower that were installed by a different company in Massachusetts. SunPower is the best in the business, and that's what Freedom Solar uses. I've enjoyed working with the whole team over at Freedom Solar, and I'm sure you will too. Thanks again to Hydro for supporting the podcast. I've been enjoying my hydro to fit in bonus cardio that doesn't take much time at all, as even a 10 to 15 minute row feels like a solid workout. It's a fun experience to be able to row on familiar routes or explore new ones on the water. Head to hydro.com, that's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com to learn more. Be sure to use the code FTLR100 to save $100 on your order. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast and their continued support of not just this podcast, but the running community in general. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith and they're going to donate 5% of your order to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, one word, will contribute towards this donation. Their spring collection is now available and features staples thoughtfully designed for this season of training. The aspect of curiosity is, is interesting. Gratitude, I think, is a, is a superpower. Um, and if you can bring and practice gratitude, any situation or most situations that are challenging, I think can become easier. Now, the curiosity piece is also interesting. I've had a lot of conversations with elite athletes and professional athletes and Olympians. And what's, what's so fascinating is, um, so this will be episode like 215 or 220 or something like that. And around episode 55 or 60, I asked a, a professional athlete who probably wants to go to the Olympics, what would you be proud of in 10 years? And I expected her to say winning a gold medal or like setting an American record or something tangible and objective. And her right. answer was 
just getting better and seeing how far I can go. And so that sort of tripped me up. And it was one of those like, hmm, now I'm curious if other people are going to say the same thing. And so I started right. asking the same question to other people in similar situations, Olympians, professional athletes, et cetera. And 98% of the time, their answer to what are you proud of or what would you be proud of was something totally subjective. And it was something totally in their control around simply getting better and understanding right. like, where is my limit? Not can I win Olympic gold? And so I kept asking this question and I forget who I was talking about it with, but it was, it was a coach and the consensus or the reflection was essentially like when curiosity is the goal and the measure of success, you're able to dictate what happens, right? Cause you can control right. your output. You cannot control the other people on the race course. You cannot control right. If you get injured, all these things that like limit tangible and objective metrics of success, even if it's like BQing or breaking three or breaking four, whatever the tangible goal is, that's right. kind of different than like, I'm just going to get better. Or can I finish 18 marathons in three years? Or can I show up for my community? Kind of a, kind of a thing. And so I think it's fascinating that that's how you approached, you approached it with curiosity and gratitude versus I'm going to do this so that that, um, right. so did your approach evolve? Was it like, okay, now that I, like, now that I have some inertia here and I see the impact that I'm having, I've got to have more impact. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. Or was it like, we're on to something. Let's just see how far it goes. Yeah. I think it was, you know, it was more like I'm on to something and let's see how far it, it goes. And, and, I was always open to talk about it with people who wanted to, um, who, who initiated conversation about it. And that often happened. You know, people, I, I found that most people who were in my circle were very curious about, even if they never ran a marathon or never even attempted one afterwards. And I was telling this story about, you know, my younger sister who I was on the phone with her. She's a, she's a nurse at a hospital in Detroit. And I was on the phone with her and one of her colleagues asked, who is she talking to? And, and she said her, her older brother. And then her colleague said, Oh, the one that runs all the marathons, is he doing another one this weekend? <laughs> and I thought, you know, if nothing else, my sister know in her vocabulary, she knows not only just what a marathon is, but we've had many discussions about my experiences running marathons. And I know that she had never had those discussions with anyone prior to that. And, you, you know, even, like I said, even if she never attempts to run a marathon, the language is not uh, in her vocabulary. And that to me, that's a, that's a win. By the language is in her vocabulary, do you mean the language of you can do more than you think is possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does that mean to you that that's a part of her headspace now? Well, it, 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 it's the whole reason why I continue to run so many marathons. Um, because, it, you know, it, to me, it wasn't just about the marathon. It was also about 
myself continuing to challenge myself and continuing to think about, you know, what I may have previously thought was impossible. And I, now I realize that there's, there's no such thing as impossible. It just may take a little bit longer time. No pun intended. <laughs> well, you're in it for the long run. <laughs> See what I did there? Always, always be branding. Um, right. So, right. so you've run a bunch of marathons. Your goal is curiosity and, and continuing to inspire those around you, those in your community. What would you say to someone who maybe hasn't run before and is maybe a black guy who is curious, like, is this for me? What, what do you say to those people? Well, I, you know, first I would, you know, be very brief and tell them about my story. Um, especially I think, I think the important part of my story is, is for, for anyone who might want to hear about it is, you know, the age in which I started, where I was in life when I started and, you know, being, you know, being 40 and starting to run a marathon. I, the first thing I thought was Michael Jordan retired at 40. <laughs> Not that I'm Michael Jordan, but I think the, the, the point is like to do something that physically strenuous is a young man's sport. You know, I think most marathoners, most elite marathoners are retired by 40, right? And so I, you Maybe know, I, I always, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and you look at like basketball players, football players, baseball players, most athletes are not still competing at 40. You know, it's 22 year olds. They're stronger, faster and and younger. And so I think that, you know, it's important to like know that there are no barriers, you know, and it, it's mind over matter. Uh, you know, I, I, I met a runner who started running marathons. He's kind of famous, he's a Japanese guy and, and famous in New York, at least, uh, on the, in the marathon scene. And he started running marathons at age 60. And he's run New York City every year since. And he's in his 80s now. <laughs> That's so cool. And he only runs New York, but he runs New York every single year. He runs with, with the Japanese flag. He's from, he lives in Brooklyn. I think he moved when he was in his thirties or something to America. Um, and he lost his wife at age 60 and he started running marathons and he's, he's been running ever since. And, you know, so I look at a guy like that and I, and I say, you know, age is not, is, age isn't a barrier to run marathons. My dad got into running at like 55 and uh, he came to it with about 54 years of bike riding under his belt. <laughs> <laughs> and most people go the other way. They go, right. you know, they're runners. And now they graduate to riding bikes and getting slower on bikes. Low impact. Yeah. Low impact. And he calls me all the time. He listens to this podcast and he often calls while he's, he's probably listening right now. Hi, dad. And, uh, he listens to this podcast on trail runs and calls me and I can hear the, the earth crunching under his feet. It's the coolest thing. Um, and he's talking about, he doesn't want to run a marathon just for himself. He wants to guide someone. And so maybe right. his first experience will be 
his first experience going 26.2 miles will be tethered to a blind person. And I think that's just the coolest, the coolest way to, to experience something and to like really do it for somebody else. Um, so I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Vanessa 200 episodes ago. Let's say you fast forward 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. What are you really proud of? In, in, as far as running, however you want to answer, you know, I, I'm most proud of running my first marathon. If I never run another marathon again, my, the, the most important one to me is still going to be the first one. And it's the one I'm most proud of. I think that's because I never intended on ever running a marathon. And it's, it's something that I thought would never, ever happen in my life. And, it, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud that I, that, that I had the courage to do it. It's cool where life can take you if you're open to the to the possibility of it. I had a similar conversation with my grandmother, who's an Orthodox Jew, and she believes that destiny is destiny, and everything that is already intended to happen will happen. And right. So the way you described it initially was there was no doubt that you were going to show up at Columbus Circle that day. That was. That was where your life was going, and this was the yeah. avenue that that it led to. And many marathons later, here we are having this conversation. And we were connected through Tracksmith, and you were just um, the recipient of a Tracksmith Artist Fellowship, um, which is which is pretty cool. Can you talk a little bit more about the the memoir experience around running and and how your educational background has led to the creation process around? around writing and, and communicating about, about your, your running experience? Well, the, the funniest thing is how it happened, even applying for this fellowship. So I'm an, an, an art writer, art curator, and art collector. And I'm also a doctoral student at Columbia um, studying museum studies. And I was in an artist studio last year and we started talking and he, you know, and, and, I, and I could tell he was excited about something that he wanted to ask me. And he said to me, he said, I'm, you know, I've been meaning to ask you this question. And it seemed like he thought that, that I wouldn't want to talk about it. And so he said, tell me about these marathons. And so I started to talk to him about the marathons. And he said to me, you should really write a book about this. And, 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 and I thought, no one's going no to be interested in reading this. And the next day, I received an email from Tracksmith saying, we have open calls to apply for this fellowship. And um, so I applied. And, but at that point, I, I thought, you know, everything, you know, I, I, I just talked about um, coming to, into marathon running and, and knowing that it was already written. Um, I think that the, the, the idea and the fact that this memoir was going to happen was already written as well. And so I decided that I was going to work on an outline while I was waiting to hear back from Tracksmith. And I started to work, work on an outline for the, for the memoir. And then I sent the outline. This was after the application um, 
I had already sent in my application, but I, I forwarded them my outline. And I don't know if it had anything to do with helping me win the fellowship, but I thought it was a good idea to let them know that, that I was on, on track for starting the memoir. And so the second I received notice that I was the recipient of this fellowship, I just started writing. And I'm about 30,000 words into the memoir right now. And I, I hope to I hope to finish it in time for the New York City Marathon. And I, I'm intending on running the New York City Marathon this year. And hopefully the, the book will come out around the same time. That's so cool. How has that writing and creation experience been for you? Well, it's been it's been really surreal because I'm like reliving all these moments that I lived through from 2016 to 2019. And 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 I realized there were some interesting things that came out of that experience. And one one of the things that that I realized is because there was a couple marathons where I had no one present in the city. And it was only then that I realized the importance of everyone that support you while you're running marathons. And I, you know, initially I had so much support and, you know, moral support and um, from friends and family and even financial support because a couple of the races I, I ran for a charity and had to, you know, go with my hat in hand and ask for donations. And luckily, my friends and family supported me. But what I didn't realize is how important the moral support was and emotional support when people weren't there. And the first phrase that I had no one present was Birmingham, Alabama. And it was such an emotional experience because there I I visited the Civil Rights Museum and the church site of the four, the, the bombing of the four girls who were murdered. And that was a very emotional experience and, and, and very emotional to experience it by myself. And I thought this would have been great if my little brother was here, because I know he's big on history in general. And I know he would have loved to have experienced the, the museum and, and the, the site of the bombing. And it would have been great to talk to him about it. And, you know, and then I was in London and I had no friends or family there to support me in London. And it was one of the worst races of, of my running experience um, because not only it, w- it was physically challenging for me, but it was a race that I saw a lot of people get rushed to the hospital and, and even someone died at that race. And, and, and the entire time, or well, not the entire time, but I would say by, by mile 16, I started to see people drop in front of me, um, clenching their chest, people, you know, crying off to the side, people getting rushed to the medical tents. And then, of course, later finding out someone didn't survive the marathon. And I knew that that it was it was such an emotional experience to be there alone and to think, wow, something happens to me. There's no one here to come to the hospital. And, and, and of course, there's nothing they can do personally, but it would just be nice to have someone there um, to, to back me up and, and to communicate with my family um, back home. But I had no one there. And that was very emotional for me to like not have 
support. And, and, and it made me come to this realization that you're not completing these marathons alone. You can't do them without the support. Totally. One of the things I've started to love about running and racing and um, is the the crewing in the trail community. And as like the right, races get right. longer, you simply can't do it yourself. Right. And I think there's right. beauty in that, that like, okay, sure. There are people that are like, oh yeah, I'm not going to have pacers and I'm going to use aid station food and whatever, but you're still using aid station food and you're still right. getting assistance right. from somebody else, Absolutely. somebody else's hands, somebody else's heart. Um, and I mean, even if you run a marathon by yourself, you're still getting help from the thousands of volunteers yeah. along the way, even a 5k, like right. same, same deal. And so I think there's so much beauty in the fact that sure, you might be in a city by yourself, but there are other people along the way assisting you. And, Absolutely. you know, as you're doing these long races, they just get easier when you bring more people in and, and along for the ride. Right. Um, a topic I like to talk a lot about is community. Um, so I'm curious about your definition of community. It sounds like it's important to you. I'm curious how you would how you would define it. Um, I think it's 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 definitely very important to me. You know, one of the races that I, I could really point to, I, I have this running group text with what I call the the Berlin crew. And when I was preparing for the Berlin Marathon, I realized that I had a friend who was going to Berlin the week before I would be there. And so she changed her flight. And this this was kind of the start of the, the creation of the Berlin crew. So she changes her flight to go a week later so she could be there when I'm running the Berlin Marathon. Then I had my friend who was in Rome from when I lived in Rome. He decided to come to Berlin. And then I had two other friends who happened to be in Europe for weddings around the same time. They decided to come to Berlin. And then my brother, who has a goal of, of going to 40 countries before he turns 40, decided he was going to check Germany off his list. And, <laughs> and every airport along the way. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, there were about six or seven people that came to Berlin to, uh, to crew with me, basically. And they supported me through, throughout the race. And, and we had a, a great time in the city. And it was just, it was just great to um, have that, that support and those friends from all over the place come to Germany to, to hang out with me for that race. But we've, we've continued to, because a lot of them didn't know each other. And they met each other in Berlin. And they were just connected because they were friends of mine. And now they're all each other's friends. And we just recently had a Berlin crew reunion uh, a couple weeks ago, which was, which was awesome because we hadn't been together since the 2017 Berlin Marathon, all of us. That's so cool. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's so cool how the like, different people are willing to do things. And when non-runners hear that, you know, if they heard that six people who didn't know each other flew to Berlin to assist you in running a race... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little crazy if if right, you're not if right. you're not a part of it, right? Right. Um, but if you're a part of it, I'm sure everyone listening is like, "Yeah, that sounds awesome." Of course, I'd do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, and it's so cool that this one thing connects us um, in in that way. Um, 
Berlin looks like a super fun race. And then, do you know there's a, a I guess, a roller coaster version of the marathon? Sorry, not roller coaster. <laughs> ro- um, roller skate version of the marathon the day before or the day after, yes. something like that. Yes. That's super cool. Yes, that looked cool too. Um, so I, I asked you about, you know, if you were to fast forward 10 to 20 years, what would you be proud of? And maybe we'll, uh, we'll start to wrap it up by going the other way um, and reflecting. If you were to talk to the 40-year-old version of yourself, uh, what would you tell that version of, of Charles? Oh, I would tell him to run Tokyo sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I'd tell him to run Tokyo sooner so I'd have that six-world majors down. <laughs> no, um, I don't know what I, I, I would tell him that everything is going to work out. And, you know, I think, you know, when I was, when I turned 40, there were a lot of things that were changing in in my life. And I was a banker and I was about to change careers and go into the art world. And I I had no clue what I was going to do in the art world. And I had no clue if it was a, it, it was a good decision. And I know at this point, I know it was the best decision because I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. But when I was 40, I was I was I was nervous about making that decision. And, you know, so and and then I was going on this roller coaster of a journey of running all these marathons in the process. And, and, and you know, it's you know, I, people always say marathons are a metaphor for life. But I really think they are because everything you do is like a marathon and you have to be thinking about you know, the long, long-term effects of what you might be doing, uh, at the moment, you know, I would, I would just tell my 40 year old self to trust your gut. It's never been wrong. You got a lucky gut. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Charles, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat today and sharing your experience and, and wisdom. If someone's listening and wants to follow along with your writing or your experiences around running, where can we find you? Uh, I do have an Instagram page. It's called Champagne and Vitamins. And uh, I do have a website. It's charlessmore.com. So I have to ask, Champagne and Vitamins, where did that come <laughs> from? <laughs> well, in, the, the interesting thing is that all these things that were happening as I was turning 40, um, I was on a 40th birthday trip to Monte Carlo, and my birthday is actually in August, but I was counting this as my birthday trip because I wanted to see the Formula One race in Monaco. Oh, cool. And we were in the hotel room about to go out after the race. And I, I really like champagne and I really like to do things that are healthy. And I remembered I didn't take my vitamins that day and I popped a bottle of champagne poured it into a glass and I took a vitamin and, and drank the champagne to wash it down. And Andrea said to me, what are you doing? And I, and I said, you know, champagne and vitamins. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day I went and got the Instagram page, the Twitter page and the domain name and had no clue what I was going to do with it. Um, but I got it and that's how it came about. <laughs> That's incredible. (laughs) 
That's so awesome. And I'm only a little jealous about seeing uh, the Formula One in uh, in Monaco. I recently binged Drive to Survive, and uh, I'm now a huge fan of of all of that as well. So that must have been incredible. Oh, awesome! I I saw Lewis Hamilton win Monaco. It was, cool. it, was it was great. It was great. And then I met him two years later um, at a party, which was awesome. What party were the two of you at? So um, the musician Swiss Beats is also a, a huge art collector. And he throws these annual parties at his, his home where he invites like collectors, artists, writers, curators. It's a huge party. And then he'll invite a few celebrities. Cool. And, and so I look across the room and, and I was like, holy shit, that's Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> I was like, what, what, how am I here? And Did so, you sign my car and, tires? <laughs> and no one was talking to him because no one there knew who he was. <laughs> and so I walked up to him and I was like, I, I saw you in 2016 when Monaco, I was like literally feet, you know, a hundred feet away from you when you, you were <laughs> taking the pole. And he was like, oh, and then, you know, thank you. Thank you. And, and we took a picture. <laughs> He's a nice guy. Very cool. <laughs> Well, that's, that's so awesome. Um, Charles, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and, uh, and we'll see you out there. Awesome. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. <laughs>